And we realize that there is a space that needs to be catered to from a work management perspective. Mm. And we built the software around it. So customer success post initial sale is where you really need to provide those delightful outcomes throughout the journey of the customer. So your customer is retained with you for life and grows with you. That was Haresh Gangwani, the CEO and co-founder of Bolstra. And Bolstra is a customer success software startup that's helping companies retain more clients and grow recurring revenue. I joined Haresh along with Don Aquilano, who's a managing partner at Allos Ventures and is one of the most active VCs in the Midwest, including an investor in Bolstra. So this is a really insightful conversation between founder and funder and myself. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and you're listening to episode 39 of Powder Keg Igniting Startups, a show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators who are building remarkable tech companies in areas decidedly outside of Silicon Valley. Following last month's announcement that Powdercake has officially become a product company, my team and I have been diving deep into how to build a world-class customer experience, or CX. With this in mind, I sought out Haresh Gagwani of Bolstra and Don Aquilano of Alice Ventures for this very, very special episode, and I got advice from both of them. Gagwani and Aquilano have a combined 30 years of customer success experience, and Haresh as a business operator, while Aquilano as an advisor and investor, but also prior to that, an operator as well. And Haresh previously served various VP roles at the enterprise software company Aprimo, where he developed such a passion for helping customers get value out of their product, and later launched his own startup, Bolstra. Meanwhile, Don has invested and participated on boards of both the Primo and Bolstra, and has also been an operator himself. After graduating with his MBA from Harvard, he went on to serve all kinds of different businesses, including Guinness. Yes, Guinness. You get to hear a little bit of the lessons learned uh, there in this podcast as well. But you're also going to get some insight into what a true mentor-mentee relationship looks like, because I think Don and Haresh just have that magical combination, and I think you'll get a lot out of just kind of paying attention to how they play off of one another. You're also going to learn a little bit about Bolstra's process for driving customer success with their software, but also just processes in general. They work with so many companies, helping them drive greater customer success, more revenue out of their customers, more satisfaction out of their customers, but you're also going to understand why you need to commit, why you need to commit today to having customer success be at the center of how you're serving your customers. And I don't mean once you're established, I mean early in the life of your business and why you should actually be charging for it. There's a ton in here. These guys are the foremost experts in this. So Please buckle up and enjoy this insightful conversation. Let's set this thing off. And coming at you live from Developer Town in Broderpool in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm with two amazing entrepreneurs, Don Apolano of Alice Ventures, so investor as well, and uh, Haresh Kagwani, CEO and founder of Bolstra. And we are about to record a podcast, but I thought first we'd maybe uh, jump into this Facebook Live because we've got an awesome audience here at Powder Keg. You guys have amazing uh, experience. And I thought, you know, if anyone's watching here, they could maybe even drop in the comments some questions for me to ask on the podcast. So if you're here, just drop a comment uh, and say hello to Haresh and Don. And then, of course, um, feel free if you'd like to ask a question. And uh, Mike, who's manning the camera behind here, will be feeding those questions if we have any uh, good ones ready to go. <laughs> any good ones. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so no pressure, guys. No pressure. they got to be good. 
Um, but uh, Haresh, thank you so much for being here, man. Thank I, you. I know um, the, the cool thing about you two is that you work together. Don is, is an investor in Bolster via Alice. Um, and I, I'm curious to know uh, why Bolster was the idea after everything you did at Primo, why mm. was that the thing you wanted to go and pursue? Actually, um, Aprimo is where we started doing a really good customer success and delivering customer success uh, outcomes to our customers. But it was through non-automation or workflow manner. It was more on people working with different systems to provide customer success. And we were doing it well. And we realized that there is a space that needs to be um, catered to from a work management perspective, mm. and we built the software around it. So customer success post initial sale is where re you really need to provide those delightful outcomes throughout the journey of the customer so your customer is retained with you for life and grows with you. Yep. And a primo, we did it with people working towards these customer success outcomes, and we found that there needs to be an automation and workflow around it, and that's what caused uh, Bolster to be formed. And so I, I know your tagline is delivering better together, together. which I love. Yeah. Um, but if you were to give kind of the maybe expanded 30-second sure. elevator pitch of Bolstra, what would that be? Yeah, so Bolstra is, as I said, customer success company. And when we say customer success, we mean customer success management, along with customer success measurement. And when you look at the customer success management, that's the, the, the gritty part of things that you do behind the scenes, which is how do you manage deliverables? How do you manage the collaborative effort? So when you talk about delivering better together, it's sales, marketing, customer support, training, all of those functions integrating together to deliver those outcomes. So it's delivering better together. I love it. That's awesome. I think you may, may have nailed that 60 second pitch too. There you go. Uh, I'll invest. Yeah, I was gonna, that was actually gonna be my next question, Don. Why, why do you think that this customer success space was something to invest in and why choose, why choose this team that has started bolstering? Yeah, yeah, very good question. Um, and it's a very easy answer. I had the, the pleasure uh, of sitting sort of uh, on a perch on the Aprima board initially. Mm. So I got to see world-class customer support, proactive world-class customer support that not only delighted customers and, t and held their hand throughout a journey, um, but also continued to offer uh, improved services such that when it became time for renewal, mm -hmm. it was a non-issue. Yep. As opposed to something to be concerned and worried about, it was a happening and it was just another step in the journey. Um, is that something that you're concerned and worried about in most of the other businesses? So I will tell you almost all the companies we look at, whether we invest in them or not, are not great at customer success. Uh, oftentimes it's simply a handoff from sales to account management mm -hmm. and it's very reactionary. I kind of simplify what uh, Haresh said in, in his pitch. Um, I like people proactively working on the right things at the right time and that's what this solution helps these companies do. They did it fabulously, sort of manually at a primo, and they took that expertise and are building it into the system, which is helping uh, a number of our portfolio companies already. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I want to dive into some of those things that made you guys so expert at that uh, in the podcast, but want to tease the audience here a little bit to tune into uh, the podcast. You can find it at powderkeg.com slash iTunes. Uh, so make sure you subscribe there so you get the uh, episode when it comes out uh, next in the next couple weeks. Uh, 
Um, these guys have amazing experience. And um, the fact that, Harash, you come from a primo, just such an mm -hmm. awesome success story um, in Indianapolis. And Don, I, I think you're an investor in, in a primo as well. Again, uh, again. Right, yeah. Uh, you, you've got to be one of the most active VCs in the, the Midwest. It's, it's just awesome. Talk a little bit about your experiences at sure. at a primo. What was that like? Ultimately, selling for what half a billion dollars? Yes, correct. Um, it's very karmic. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up in a primo because I was before a primo. I was at Software Artistry. Yeah. And Software Artistry is also a local success story uh, that got acquired by Tivoli IBM. And at Software Artistry, I have I had the fortune of working, good fortune of working with people like Bill and Rob and others who founded a Primo. Yeah. So one day when uh, I saw a Primo being started, which is day minus five, I went and joined them. So 15 years at a Primo, you know, you gotta do, you get to do everything and anything. It's That's the awesome. do whatever it takes attitude that remained till the last day, even post acquisition of Teradata. Wow. And um, How so great was that team when it was acquired? About 300 people, 300 people globally. Wow. Yeah. and. Um, during that time, I was given the opportunity to run uh, channel sales, which is via systems integrators. So Infosys, Capgemini were some of my partners that I went to business with. Nice. Went to Singapore and ran the Primo office out of uh, Asia Pacific there. London before there when we were going into EMEA. So I was blessed to have good opportunities. Was there a, a part in that growth story uh, of a Primo that things weren't looking so great? You know, there's always, whenever you are in a mode of, when you were a startup, then you went into a scale-up mode, then you went into an enterprise mode. There are different structures, right? There are different approaches to your customer. So yes, there were times that you were thinking, okay, will we get there? And how soon will we get there? But you know what kept us going is that North Star. We were all focused on making sure we get to that end goal and everybody started pushing the boulder uphill. And at after a while, it became a habitual practice. So yeah, there were starts and stops and starts and stops like in any other business, but the best part was the culture and the team that got together and worked in the same direction. So it was kind of like you, you could relax a little bit because you knew you had the team behind you. And even though there were ups and downs happening, you had that kind of consistency of, of team behind it. Yeah, but relax is a pretty uh, uh, big term. We were never relaxed <laughs> okay. because we were always holding us accountable to yeah. the next bar. Yeah. So it was like, okay, we are doing great here, but how do we push ourselves better? And yeah, there was a little bit relaxed, but it was never relaxed. It was always like, go. Yeah, you, it was It was like a, almost like a calm energy. Like you, you had energy, but you weren't it was like positive. freaking out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Uh, Don, is, is that... Pretty characteristic of all the companies you invest in? So even the best companies will misplan, will hit some potholes and some speed bumps and maybe head down some blind alleys. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely normal. Well, let's be clear, you mentioned IBM. Yeah. Big, giant, successful companies, they'll miss a quarter or two, right? Yeah. So you know, younger, smaller, fragile companies, they of course are gonna hit these little bumps along the way. Sort of watching this from the board at a primo, this management team was as strong as any team that we've seen, always fully accountable, never excuses if the plan for the quarter was missed a little bit, and they always had a game plan to get back on track, and it's a testament to the team, yeah. right? And so very sort of sophisticated, transparent, uh, and energetic approach to sort of look at opportunities as challenges to solve. 
Um, and they did it. And it obviously built an extraordinary company and had a great outcome for investors, for management, for the community. Um, and what I love is sort of taking some of the best practices from that experience and it's benefiting not just Bolstra, but all the companies that Bolstra is touching. So it's it's a great uh, it's a great story. Absolutely, I, and we're just getting on board with Bolstra as well. So uh, it's cool to check out and buy local and uh, yes. try out some of the cutting edge technology in client success. Um, because obviously, we want all of our clients to be happy as well. And sure. I, I love sort of like the Midwest values that are sort of at the core yep. of what yep. you guys are doing at Bolstra. And um, just putting like a real methodology behind it is, is awesome. And I, I want to dive into that methodology on the podcast. Okay. And so uh, if you're interested in hearing this conversation, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes, just powderkeg.com slash iTunes, or go to iTunes and hit powderkeg and you can subscribe to us there. Don, I, I would love to hear a little bit more about your background because I've heard stories here and there. I do remember at one point in time you came in and gave a talk to... Uh, the Orr Fellows, the entrepreneurial program that I was in. Mm -hmm. And so I, I remember bits and pieces of it, but as we were walking to the office here, you, you mentioned Guinness yeah. and, and your time working there. Yeah. Uh, how does one go from working in the beer industry to becoming a venture capitalist? Well, that's a, it's an interesting story. I, I think the best venture capitalists are entrepreneurs at heart, first yep. of all, and have operating experience, which has kind of been my background. From an entrepreneur, I did everything from helping start a sort of valet parking business with a, with a friend of mine, uh, uh, t-shirts and shorts uh, business in college, and then a couple software companies um, when I was working at, uh, at Hewlett Packard sort of on the side. One worked, one didn't, so it's good to see things that work and things that don't. Um, it's, it's better to see the things that work though. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> the way I got into Guinness, the, the, the beer, which was part of Diageo, which was Guinness, Gramet, Pillsbury, Burger King, was through a mentor of mine who noticed that all my background was really tech related and that uh, an area that I could bolster um, would be sort of sales and marketing. And he was leaving to be the uh, head of strategy for Guinness and said, wouldn't you like to be sort of manager of strategy for Guinness Americas and Caribbean? And you'll get hands-on experience uh, working with the brands, working with sales and so on. And I said, and drink you don't, beer. You don't need to <laughs> and, and, and drink and drink the best beer in the world. So, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, for for a couple of years, I had the best experience. When I was there, we launched the first ever Guinness TV advertising. We bought Red Stripe Brewery. We imported Bass Ale. We launched uh, Guinness in Brazil. We uh, changed how Harp was brewed and and imported into the U.S. And it was just a, a joy to work with uh, really smart people on something that was totally new and different. Yeah. And it wouldn't happen without great mentorship. Well, uh, talk to me about that mentor. How did you, were you just like, hey, I'm, I'm starting my career or growing in my career. I'm going to find me a mentor. How did it that kind was, of come I about? wish it was that uh, prescriptive. Um, <laughs> uh, it sort of was my office mate when I, uh, I, I left business school and joined Boston Consulting Group. And his, his job was to show me where the bathrooms were and to give me guidance, and he was a couple years ahead of me. Um, we became fast friends, and uh, he took me sort of under his wings and said he was blessed to have good mentors to help him get to where he was, uh, and he wanted to return the favor, and I like doing the, the, the same thing today. It was great, and when he was leaving to take on this new job, he wanted to make sure that he put his advice to practice and brought me along. And so uh, 
since then, he's uh, he's he's uh, been on a couple of our boards that we've we've put him on. Um, he wow. was the CEO of Burt's Bees, uh, the CEO of Seventh Generation, both uh, great success stories. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, so I've been blessed, uh, and hopefully the folks I've helped mentor uh, feel blessed as well. I have some more questions for mentorship. I, I was wondering first, uh, Haresh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. who were some of your mentors along the way? Is there one in particular that kind of stands out? Besides Don, of course. Yeah, Don is a big <laughs> influence uh, yeah. in, in where I am and what I'm doing. But yeah. yes, right from the beginning, uh, again, I always, for you to grow, you got to have to look up to somebody who can help you mm-hmm. truly selflessly mm-hmm. to help you and guide you. And I was fortunate to have those people in my life. And... Uh, most recently, he's uh, on our board and uh, he helps me out. His name is Bill. And I tell you what was the, the thing that gravitated or for me to say he's a mentor is because every time we came out of the meeting, even though some meetings I probably kiboshed it, but he was very positive about providing critique, right? Or uh, criticism. It was very positive. Talk to me how that would come out. How does yeah. one positively critique you? I'll tell you. <laughs> it was a great meeting I had with him. Back in the day, we were still learning. I was still learning about marketing automation. Of course, he founded the company, so he knew far more than I did. I joined the company and I was learning about marketing automation in the space of resource management versus campaign management. I went to a demo with him and we opened up a product and I was a pre-sales engineer at that time and I did my presentation. Came out of that presentation and of course we advanced the ball to the next stage, which is what you want yeah. at the end of the meeting. Came out of the meeting and I was driving to the airport. It was in Dallas, Texas and Bill was sitting next to me and Bill said, you know, it was all good. I said, Bill, give me some feedback. Tell me what I did, what I should be doing. He says, no, everything was good except for one thing that I think that will make you even better is you know how those uh, those sticky tapes are that you uh, th- that you label makers? I said, yeah. And you know how he approaches it. He says, you know those label makers? I said, yeah, yeah. He says, if you were to make a label that says selling, not telling, and put it on your laptop, every time you do it, you'll talk about more the why rather than the what. That was a great advice. I mean, you know, we, especially the ones that have come from pre-sales, solutions consulting, mm-hmm. technical management background, from a product-centric approach, we always love to tell what our product is all about sure. rather than to sell on the value proposition that will benefit the customer. And that lesson was one example of what really made me say, you know what, I would like to travel with you more. So I did <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, there's very few board meetings I sit in on with Bill that I don't learn something. Yeah. And I tell entrepreneurs uh, as they're considering taking uh, investment from Bill, yeah. I said, just... Just say yes. Just say yes. Uh, wow, that's awesome. Um, in terms of implementing feedback from mentors, and again, we are going to get to client success, I promise, but you have just these awesome stories. And um, in terms of implementing and growing a relationship with a mentor, um, you know, sometimes I see these uh, relationships where people say, you know, well, I already talked to that person. And I say, well, what did they say? And they'll say, well, they said to do this. I was like, well, did you do that? And they said, yes, I did that, but it didn't work. And so I felt like I couldn't really like reach back out to the mentor, you know, the potential mentor. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, that's not how, that wasn't really a mentor then. You just bought that person coffee one time. It's not really like a relationship. So how do you, how do you turn maybe one piece of advice or one interaction. Now, of course, in, in both your scenarios, they worked with you. So they're kind of stuck with you. But if you, if, um, if you were thinking, 
now I know both of you mentor other entrepreneurs and other uh, leaders. What is it that helps you want to help them? Uh, once again, it's, it's selflessness of you as a mentor to make sure that you're guiding them. And, but it has to be started from you, right? Mm -hmm. You have to come and say, can you help me with this? Because there's so many things going on that you would not know what you need help with. So how can I guide you? But it, it has to be started. Then with my relationship with my mentors is it's very agile. It's very iterative. It's the feedback loop that's being closed because if they are helping me and I'm truly seeking their advice, I will take it upon myself to make sure I give them the end result that came out of applying that mm -hmm. so that I can learn the next bit. Um, that's how it is for me. I'm sure, Don, you have a practice of uh, making sure that those are implemented by people who you mentor. Yeah, I think there's a, accountability is very important. I mean, there's a saying, you know, like, that I like uh, that is um, never turn down free advice. Yeah. So that's one level, yeah. but I think a true mentorship, um, you have to invest in each other, yeah. right? Um, and you have to sort of clearly state it and understand it. We're going to invest in each other. So I'm willing to mentor somebody, yeah. but I want them to seek that advice, to put it in practice, to try it, to give me feedback and we're going to give each other feedback, right? And it's a, it's a, it's a long-term relationship, mm -hmm. right? And there's a lot of different ways you can sort of keep that keep that alive. Um, but that's, that's what I want to see. I want to see true two-way street investment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so gratifying, right? Because I put myself in their shoes and I was the beneficiary uh, uh, as well. And I stay in touch with my mentor. Um, uh, he's an investor in our fund, right? For example, right? And so that's a, uh, a long-term relationship. Um, but there's got to be accountability, yes. right? Otherwise, okay. uh, it's just a sort of don't turn down free advice. That's really good advice. I'm not going to turn it down. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into client success and some of the best practices from some of the most practiced practitioners. I don't know if I overused that word, but I, I did it. And uh, we're going to be right back in just a second. Thanks for listening to Powder Keg Igniting Startups. And if you haven't subscribed to Powder Keg yet, it's not too late. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, iTunes, Google Play, all of the major outlets. And you can find all of the links to subscribe as well as show notes and transcripts at our website, powderkeg.com. So that's powderkeg, all one word, dot com. If you have an iTunes account, we've created a handy link for you. Just go to powderkeg.com slash iTunes. That's going to take you directly to our show where you can subscribe, leave a review, and see all of the incredible episodes from past guests, including Brian Clark at Rainmaker, based in Boulder, Colorado, Karen Nortman at Upfront Ventures in Los Angeles, California, and Max Yoder at Lessonly in Indianapolis, Indiana. It's your subscribes and reviews that help us reach more people and share these founder stories from beyond Silicon Valley. So again, that's powderkeg.com slash iTunes. Back to the show. These are the questions I've been waiting the whole time to ask both of you guys. Uh, customer success is super important. It's uh, something that I've seen both bolster companies and help them grow yep. like a rocket ship and see it also tank companies and force companies to focus on maintaining customers as opposed to focusing on innovation and, and gaining more customers and, and growing. Um, but before we dive into that, maybe Haresh, you could define for me, what is customer success 
Is it the same thing as customer support and customer relations? I hear all these terms thrown sure. around, and I would imagine you're so immersed in that industry. You Absolutely. could be our guide. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. So customer success is not customer support, which is also known as customer service. So let me make a distinction. Customer success is proactive versus customer service or support is reactive, okay. number one. So Cust customer success is, hey, my the, laptop's frozen. Can I, can you please help me fix this? That's customer service, right? My, I've got that's, break that's fix. That's customer right? service, yes. So I've got break fix issues. I'm gonna call somebody to bail me out. That's customer service or customer support mm -hmm. role. And they, the customer service, customer support role are more reactive on the call received by the end customer on an issue that's happening due to a break fix problem. Mm -hmm. So it's more reactive. Yeah. Versus customer success is more proactive, is trying to deliver positive outcomes from the time you engage on, in, on the product, from adoption to expansion, and then follow on to renewal. They are more proactive, they are more agile in nature and creating these delightful outcomes. I'm gonna play the dummy here and say, hey, my customers aren't complaining. Why am I gonna spend more money to be proactive and bother my customers if they're not complaining? Sure, so the, the biggest reason for the customer churn to occur, and it's been documented, it's after the initial sale due to lack of engagements and positive outcomes based on either a quarterly business review that you're doing audits that you're doing, monthly check-ins that you're doing, or simply addressing the best practices know-how to the end customer. Mm -hmm. So if you look at if you look at the graph and you know if you can picturize or visualize the graph, there's peaks of excitement that a customer experiences from the time they buy a particular product, from the time then they go live on that particular product, but those peaks of excitement turns into peaks of despair and <laughs> valleys of silence. And that's due to the fact that they are not engaged on an ongoing basis to receive additional value from what they bought. Don, you're invested in a lot of companies. Have you, maybe without naming names, uh, experienced either, whether you're sitting on the board or you're, you're an investor, an advisor, um, have you experienced that churn and, and a company that hasn't focused on Absolutely. customer success? Absolutely and unfortunately, but yes, <laughs> there's different flavors of it. But one of the things that we've seen um, in terms of root cause analysis and corrective action for customer churn, it often comes back to initial time to value, mm -hmm. right? Which is as soon as the sale is done, how long does it take for them to actually activate and gain value, mm. which is ultimately why they bought the product to begin with, right? Companies that do that proactively and engage with customers, uh, have happier customers, early time to value, um, and then it only grows. If it, if it goes a long period of time without engagement, um, we see those end customers as the ones that are uh, most likely to churn. And that has a significant issue. Not only is it sort of this renewal and churn metrics that every sort of software company is really measuring, if it gets bad enough, it hurts the actual pipeline of mm -hmm. sales and marketing because yeah. these customers and your prospects in your funnel will talk to your existing customers and they'll talk to people who initially uh, bought. And if they learn that they've had a poor customer experience, it impacts your close rate. It impacts every part of your business, not just renewals. And so the importance on a number of levels of getting it right post-sale matters more than I think anyone gave it credit 
uh, for years ago. Mm. And so now it's sort of top of mind, which is how do we engage the customer right up front and make sort of this renewal a non-issue yeah. where it's not even the point anymore. Yep. It's more of the win-win. How do we help our customers gain value? Because if they gain value, they're never going away. Are, are there... Um, benchmarks that you look for for time to value like is, is that a, a metric that you're actively measuring and looking at when you're reviewing company performance absolutely so uh, and it's a little bit different for every every company sure um, uh, and, and usually maybe like the b2b b2b enterprise yeah space. We, we look for it to be in the weeks correct not months or quarters <clears throat> yeah right and we've seen it where it takes six to nine months and those are going to be unhappy customers and those are going to be people who are likely to churn. Yeah. Um, so we look for it to start during the sales process, which is here's what we're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. And here's how we're together. We're going to build value and we're going to do it quickly. And so that's kind of what we we measure is time to value. And there's different ways you can with today's software yeah. understand end user activity on the platform which is what Bolstra helps to do. Well, and so Haresh, like what have you discovered in yeah. working with all of these different companies? Obviously starting kind of baking this idea when you're at a Primo yep. and using it to grow that $7 million in annual recurring yes. from client success or customer success. How do you do that now with Bolstra now that you're seeing all these different companies getting to work with them and grow their proactive customer success? The first discipline we instilled back in the days of a Primo with customer success was we actually mandated that every customer we sign on will get two hours of customer success uh, personnel assigned to them from the moment they signed on with us. And that was beautiful because inevitably, every customer who we sold to said, okay, I love your product. Can I ask you to help me build a better segmentation on a lifetime value? for example. And that wasn't a break-fix problem. That was a how-to problem, right? Mm -hmm. How do you help me? Because you're the expert. And by the way, in even today's world, when people buy product, they're not buying your product. They're buying your expertise, right? Yeah. So when they call you to help get that help, we were offering that in two hours per month on an ongoing basis from a customer success who was basically a subject matter expert. Yeah. Now, we were offering that and we were calling that assurance services because we found there was a gap with assurance gap that existed from customers not being able to adopt the system well in any environment, yep. right? With customer success now with Bolstra, we have operationalized that and put it in our product. So the moment the customer signs on, appropriate best practice accelerators, we call them templates of engagement models, kick off from the system and prescribes to the customer success manager that these are the 15 things you must do with the customer during this stage of their journey. Going back to what Don was pointing out, I can't stress enough that we found number one challenge in today's customer success environment is the delays and the time it takes to get to first time to value. Mm -hmm. And it should be, we say, eight weeks, within eight weeks, and that's post go live, by the way. Yeah. If you are measuring yourself, which our CSMs are measured on, time to first value, if that's accelerated, you have hit a home run. That eight weeks number, I, I wanna make sure I note, is sure. it more like for the B2B enterprise SaaS. If I'm looking for an email client, 
and, it's and shorter I, than that. I want that. It should be yeah. eight seconds, probably, right? Yeah, exactly. And, right. and get to that value pretty quickly. And by the way, that uh, time to force value is more metric driven than just onboarding, right? Right. When you get a customer come on, onboarding is really super simple and super fast, right? Yeah. Because we got videos, we got engagement templates, and okay. all that. Then you go live, and then you get the adoption phase. At that point, you're measuring what kind of revenue they are influencing. That's the time to first value. I see. Okay, yeah. so so time to first value is not necessarily I'm using this product and mm -hmm. benefiting from that's, it. That's table stakes. Yeah. So this is more like once you kind of recoup the cost right. of, of the investment. And what survey information you're getting back from the customer? Yeah. Are they adopting your software? How many pages and how much of the usage metric goes up? That's time to force value. Okay. So talk to me about uh, surveying. Sure. Uh, is that something that you recommend doing with all of your customers in this sort of onboarding phase? Many of our customers, if not all of the customers, have some sort of a survey mechanism, right, mm -hmm. that they do. What happens is the friction occurs when the survey results come back and people have to then tabulate those survey results and then you have to rely on whether, why did I get a four on a survey whether when it should have been a nine probably because the person was not in a good mood. So survey results tabulation should be automated in the system, number one. Number two, the reliance on only surveys is not necessarily the best deliverable outcome that you want from a customer because surveys could be lagging indicators. Yeah. What's leading indicators are the achievements being met by the customer throughout their customer journey with you. Yeah. So yes, we do have survey capabilities. We call them health scores as one of the metrics that we show in a dashboard, but more importantly than that, we combine that with the deliverables that are being achieved by the customer so that customer success manager has insights into all. That Both real time That makes and a lot of sense. Have you been involved, Don, with a company that when you first got involved didn't have a customer success practice that did a lot of these best practices? Yeah, so so I won't name the, the company, but we, we certainly have companies that were very reactionary mm. um, and more in break-fix mm -hmm. type mode. Uh, when they And they all know that they can be doing it better, but yeah. they need help. So when they, when they meet with Bolstra and they understand sort of what best practice is, it's, it's beautiful. And so when they migrate towards changing their behavior and using a tool to help them change their behavior, uh, and a platform, um, everything gets better. And so let me let me uh, let me describe the benefit of of customer assurance, customer success, in sort of a, a world class manner. Is uh, like the Aprimo model, and like Bolstra preaches, um, you actually can charge for customer assurance uh, and adding value to your customer, mm. right? And this has an interesting um, side effect, which is from the company's perspective, all of a sudden customer success um, goes from a cost center to a profit center, which impacts both your gross margin. It obviously impacts sort of renewals that we talked about. It impacts your bottom line. It impacts your top line, right? And so in the Aprimo model, not only did we have great renewals, we had great cost of goods sold. Uh, and when we sold the company, it had millions of dollars of top line customer assurance. And that is such a win-win because all those dollars that were being paid by our customers were delivering our customers value. 
right? And so it's this beautiful, uh, elegant equation uh, when customers go all the way uh, to sort of leading edge on how this should be done versus uh, uh, reactionary sort of customer account management. Yep. And so to see people move from sort of the beginning to the end, it, it's just wonderful and has a, an extreme, extremely significant impact on the customer's business. Now, I've heard some founders and investors almost discourage having a services component to their business because it makes it feel less like a software company uh, and they feel like their valuation goes down because they're not a pure software play. Is there any truth to that sort of fear? So there's two ways to answer that and I'll let Haresh add to it. Um, sort of pure pro services, uh, in traditional pro services usually is part of a mix. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want it to be you know, two thirds of your revenue otherwise gonna be viewed as a consulting company, um, but it should be more than 5% uh, unless your company sort of runs by itself. In this case, customer assurance, customer success is a function that's needed anyway, yeah. no matter what. If you can create that win-win by having a true value uh, built in to the sort of services and be paid appropriately for it, that is valued significantly because all of a sudden it, it's more of turning a cost center to a, a, a profit center mm -hmm. while delivering uh, success. And so by no means did it have any negative impact uh, at a primo or other companies. It actually benefited the entire P&L relative to doing it the old way um, and actually got a lift in terms of the exit valuation. So uh, it's different than the traditional pro services and that's the beauty of this. In a SaaS industry yep. where customers are expecting a continuous value attainment from the time they embark on the journey with you, one of the things that they are also asking for is don't give me SOWs. <laughs> I don't like statement of works because SOWs has automatically in it a start yeah. and a stop. It's a project. A start right. and yeah. a stop. I don't want project-based pricing, guys. There's a lot of scope creep. I want continuous value attainment. And for that, I, that currency is customer success. So in Bolstra today, with our customers, the project managers or PMs mm -hmm. are also users of customer success, providing continuous value to the end customer. So that's the distinction and differentiation. And I've seen that, by the way, not just in the SaaS industry, but also today's companies that are offering on-prem solutions, mm -hmm. on-premises solution, are also operating like SaaS, spelt reverse, service as a software, because they want to provide mm -hmm. continuous value. Yep. And so they are saying, wait a minute, I don't want to have SOWs, just engage with me, and I, by the way, as a customer, will pay you to buy more currency as you are depleting it from the units that I purchased from you because I'm getting value. But do it to me in a continuous fashion. That's great. I've, I've never heard the uh, service as a software. I, I like that a lot. Talk to me about what some of the challenges are when you're implementing customer success. Uh, Haresh, as, as you see companies that maybe don't have a customer, uh, a, or at least not a formal customer success practice, as they're implementing it there, maybe with Bolstra, maybe even you know without Bolstra to start, what are some of the biggest challenges there? Let me answer this question in a, in a, in a way that I'll get to this challenge part, okay. but I will tell you that uh, when I'm talking to customers, uh, especially in the startup and scale-up mode, which has got so much other priorities going on, some of the challenges are 
people utilizing customer support as customer success. And we say, by the way, by the time you are using customer service in a reactive mode to address customer success, the customer's already decided to go. Yeah. And going back to a point Don made in a few questions before that you asked him, one customer, then a mathematical study has been done that one customer churn result on a 15,000 annual contract value of that one customer churn equates to over a million dollar revenue loss. How? One customer churn, you lose them, you definitely lose 15K, but you, you lose the renewal for seven years as an approximate for the lifetime value. Number two, that customer churn causes seven other customers through the viral impact of it to not sign up with you multiplied by their each of their seven years. So if you do the math, that customer churn metric, unit metric, is the one that keeps every executive up at night to make sure that we are preventing, right? Or it should, be. it should, if it, it should. doesn't, yeah. Right. <laughs> those, do, is that something, thinkers, do, right? Do, do most uh, entrepreneurs stay up at night, Don, thinking about churn? Well, it's uh, to Haresh's point, sometimes <laughs> in the early days, everything is on fire, yeah. right? And so they're working on a thousand things on their whiteboard, and the question is, what's at the top of their whiteboard? Um, all too often, uh, it's reactionary, and they don't act until the churn is imminent, and then it's too late, yes. as opposed to a proactive approach, best practice approach, where you're engaging them from the onset. You know everything about them. You know if they have issues, and you're fixing them. You know if they have needs, you're selling them more services, you're selling them more product. And so it's, it's the other side of the coin. So intellectually, I think a lot of these entrepreneurs, uh, early stage, understand it. The question is, what can they get to and when does it uh, hit the top of their whiteboard? Uh, it's, it's definitely something that we think is, is super valuable. I think it's really valuable to have these kinds of conversations to bring mm -hmm. customer success to the forefront of founders or, or even leaders within companies minds you know when the the sales team is thinking about how they're going to hit their next number and how overall as an organization you're going to hit your revenue number um, putting that all on the sales team isn't doesn't necessarily have to be the case you can look to client success to look at like how are you actually growing your existing customers um, into clients that are going to renew and renew and grow and grow Correct. and grow with you, which is awesome. Before I ask my, my final round of customer success questions, I wanted to zoom back for a second because both of you have chosen to grow and thrive in your careers in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I wanted to ask you guys why that is, because you could live anywhere. There's software everywhere. There's tech communities everywhere. Why this one? So I'll go first. First of all, um not only do I, and it's an overused term, do I love the tech ecosystem here, the supporting ecosystem structure. I also love how it's accelerating. So it's not just sort of organically growing, it's accelerating, including a lot of stuff that Powderkeg is doing. It, it is uh, absolutely best in breed, certainly in the Midwest, which is the area that we invest in. And obviously you have a Midwest footprint and it's growing, but the experienced, entrepreneurial element in Indy is also contagious. It's contagious not only because of how collaborative the uh, entrepreneurial e ecosystem is, but also the fact that all these success stories, the people who were behind them dive right back in. 
like a Bill Godfrey, right? He is investing and helping, right? Like a Scott Dorsey and his team who started High Alpha and is helping, right? So that's what I love, right? And it's very collaborative. It's a fun place to work. It's a great place to start a business. Selfishly, uh, from a venture capital perspective, there's not a lot of venture capital here, so I'm part of the solution, right? And that's a good feeling as well. You, you definitely are and, and have been a big reason for a lot of this growth. With, without the investment dollars coming from uh, you and Alice, there are a lot of companies that wouldn't be here today, yeah. which is, is pretty no awesome. Doubt. It's good to be no able doubt. to have an impact. Yeah, yeah and I uh, came here as a student and uh, went through my schooling here. I got my first uh, break uh, at a company based out of Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, where I met a friend of mine who now is the co-founder with me at Bolstra. And going back to everything Don said is absolutely accurate. People are helping people here. They are ready. You know, things like everybody's busy, Mm -hmm. but they find the time to help you. Whether it's at a Starbucks on a Saturday, I've met people who on a weekday, they are so busy I can't get the time, but they would offer to meet with me on a weekend to help me out. So it's the community, it's the culture, number one. Number two, what's really key, and all my kids have gone to school here, is the academic environment, the institutions here in the Midwest and even in the state of Indiana, you've got uh, Rose Hulman, you've got Purdue, you've got IU, you've got Notre Dame, and as you expand, you've got University of Kentucky in the Midwest, you've got Illinois. So the academic institutions are so good and getting the talent, which is A, humble, B, grounded, C, entrepreneurially spirited, and they don't want to leave outside of Midwest, which is a win-win for all. That's awesome. I, I think both of you need to be our poster boys for uh, entrepreneurship in Indiana uh, and the Midwest surrounding. Um, we are up against the hour. And so my final question is, if people want to learn more about Bolstra or more about your investments, Don, uh, first, Harash, where can they go to find out more about you or Bolstra? Our website is the best place to start. It's www.bolstra.com. And over there, we've got a ton of blogs and resources, videos. Please check them out. You guys are true thought leaders in customer success. Uh, I appreciate it. And thanks to you for helping us grow that thought leadership. But Bolstra website is there. And our, we are based out of Carmel, Indiana. Give us a call and say hello. Thanks, Rush. And Don, if people want to reach out to you, what's what's the best way to find out more about what you're up to, whether that's LinkedIn yeah, or Twitter yeah. or Yeah, you website. can do LinkedIn. We try to keep our website, aliceventurescom uh, up to date. Um, but also email me directly, don at aliceventurescom I'm happy to... Uh, uh, use the word powder keg in the subject line and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That, that just speaks to the spirit of uh, collaboration here in the Midwest. Really appreciate that, Don. And thank you, Harash, for sharing your expertise uh, and, and all of your experiences today on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Of course. Great. That's it for our interview with Harish Gangwani and Don Aquilano. But as you well know, that does not have to be the end of the conversation. You can find out more about Don at the email address he provided. Uh, but also on Twitter, you can find Alos Ventures at Alos Ventures on Twitter. And that's A-L-L-O-S Ventures on Twitter. And you can also find out more about Haresh and Bolstra. And Bolstra is just at Bolstra LLC on Twitter. That's Bolstra, B-O-L-S-T-R-A. Uh, LLC on Twitter. 
Uh, love these guys. We're already using Bolstra at Powder Keg, and uh, we're just getting ramped up right now, but I can tell you their customer experience is amazing. Uh, I will report back more on that. Make sure you're following us on Twitter um, and all the social networks because we'll be sharing some of our lessons learned along the way as we benefit from the expertise of Bolstra. Really, really enjoy working with these guys. Um, they've sponsored us at a few different events around the country as well, and we're looking at growing a very solid partnership together. So, um, make sure you follow along uh, what they're doing there at Bolster LLC on Twitter, uh, and then we'll be sharing more of our adventures along the way. For more stories on entrepreneurs, leaders, and top talent outside of Silicon Valley, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. We made a handy link for you at powderkeg.com slash iTunes. You want to subscribe there because we have some great guests coming up and you don't want to miss that. You're also going to be able to leave us a review, which is the lifeblood of reaching new listeners. So if you send a review, make sure you tweet at me. I'm at H-U-N-C-K-L-E-R on Twitter or on Facebook. You know, you can find me anywhere, uh, but would love to uh, send you some powder keg swag. Uh, really appreciate the reviews and the subscribes. Thank you guys so much. We've got a helpful companion website at powderkeg.com, a fresh new look coming very, very soon. And you can find the show notes here with all of the links, contact information we mentioned in the episode, as well as some of the other useful articles and interviews from the Powder Keg community. Thank you so much for listening, and you'll be hearing from us real soon.